Hey, welcome to the Disciples of Euchre podcast. My name is Vinit Barod, and today we're going to talk about the Brewers trade deadline stuff with Ryan Topp. Uh, before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Disciples Euchre, and Ryan can be followed at RDTopp, and I'm at VBarod87. Enjoy. Okay, I'm here now with Ryan Top. Ryan, how's it going? Wonderful. How are you? Good. Wonderful. Oh, man, that's a sunny disposition you have going. It is. It is. I uh, I really am happy to talk about the Brewers. Nice. Well, it's uh, August 1st, 2015, a day after a crazy deadline, um, crazy trade deadline. Maybe not so much the, in the last day, but at least the week leading up to it. Um, I mean, last year was pretty crazy, too, like with all the uh, with David Price and like a lot of other players being moved. But uh, this one was also compelling, to say the least. Yeah. Who are some players who have moved at two consecutive deadlines as big name items in recent years? Like I could think of Teixeira did it when he moved to the Bra- Texas to the Braves and then Braves to the Angels. There was yeah. that. And then maybe Cliff Lee. Did Cliff Lee bounce a couple of times? He went from Cleveland to Philly, and then Philly to Texas, and then signed back to Philly. Yes, yeah, but also some like Samarja moved. Well, not in the deadline, but he moved pretty quickly too. Like he moved in the deadline and then in the off season, right? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. He that moved was that in was the off season. Yeah, but that that's got to be the closest. The like that could have been, been wild if he'd moved at the deadline. Right, and they were talking about it, and that was just like, dude, like, what do I have, like, what kind of, that's, the the funny thing is, like, you have to be that particular type of player where, and, like, and have the misfortune of ending up with low-peril teams and or with teams that haven't quite made it yet. Like, just to be, to be good enough to be continued to move and also, like, not be with a team that's, like, going to lock you up. Yeah, and you also sort of have to have sort of a dedication not to signing an extension with anyone. Like, uh, yeah, that's what Samarja did, yeah. You have to just sort of say, we're going to go to the free agent market unless you just, you know, back up the truck. Because that definitely, that played with Samarja, definitely played with Teixeira. Mm-hmm. You know? So actually, so that's a good segue into Carlos Gomez, because Carlos Gomez is represented by Scott Boris, who notoriously... done. Yep, who notoriously does not sign extensions... Uh, or doesn't recommend that his players sign extensions, except, well, I'm, I'm sure he's not the only exception, but um, Carlos Gomez did two years ago mm-hmm. and um, signed a three-year extension. And I think the, like, basically everybody said that was an awesome extension, right? Like, even before his breakout, um, like, everyone <laughs> thought... but me. You didn't like it? I Yeah, I was one of the people, I just, I... I didn't buy the the half season breakout as being a hundred percent real. I was skeptical that he was going to consolidate the gains that he made. What was that? The second half of two thousand and twelve, right? And then two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, he was one of the best players in baseball, and so I was very wrong. And I will sit with my shame on that one. That, just, that yeah. was a very very wrong call on my part. That that was a great, fantastic extension. Yeah, and and so not only do you get, um, you get the value out of him, which the Brewers got a big value out of him, but now in return they got, uh, well, not just for him, but basically him 
and fires and an international slot. They um, they got back yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, the international slot is uh, super important. Uh, no, I don't know. It it all depends. It's it's not as bad as like a uh, competitive balance pick, you know. No, uh, they, I don't. They weren't going to be spending that money this time through. It doesn't sound like they got the the guys that they wanted. Um, now, now wasn't one of the rumors one of the reasons that the Mets deal fell through is because? Oh no, but the Brewers didn't include the competitive balance pick. That was a rumor. Okay, not international slot. No, no, no. The international slot thing is funny because I, you know, ideally I would like them to spend up to their international um, limit. But having now read and listened to Kylie McDaniel, really, who's Kylie McDaniel, who writes for Fangraphs, and Ben Badler, who works for Baseball America, are really the two experts mm-hmm. on the international market. And the way that it sort of comes across is you the way the international market works is now you really have to plant your flag with guys when they're like 14 and go okay this is how much money we're going to give you this is our this is our contract offer and then you just hope that you know over the next year year and a half that they develop into that consensus top flight prospect they did that with Gilbert Lara and he did develop into you know a consensus top Three four prospect, mm-hmm. and by the time he signed, um, you know, but it doesn't always work that way. The Cubs had a bunch of guys this year supposedly that they, you know, kind of locked into deals a while back, and nobody really emerged as a top ten guy. They they all sort of they had a bunch of guys in the top thirty, but nobody really emerged as a top flight guy at least at this point in the process. So when people say, "Oh, well, you got to spend that whole that whole amount of international bonus money," it kind of doesn't work that way because you have to you have to be years ahead on that stuff, and, and so you can try sort of at the end to 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 get guys and it sounds like the brewers did you know cash in on at least one late in the market but so now how much how much was that money i guess we don't know because it'll depend on the brewers standings right at the end of the year how much money did the brewers well like how much was the slot worth oh that they gave up yeah i think it was i think it was a second round slot it was like slot 60 I I would have to go, but I don't want to just make it. Oh, up. but it wasn't a first round slot. No, I, I don't believe so. And okay, it, and even though there's not rounds, it, it, this is all this is so granular. But anyway, basically the point is is that the Brewers traded away something in this deal. They traded away something they probably weren't going to use. Yeah, and the the other thing, and I, and it's yeah. not necess- I'm sorry, it's not necessarily that they weren't going to use it because they're cheap or they don't care or they're not trying. It's just that's how the market works. No, yeah, and al- and also it's when players are signing, they are aware of your cap. And so if your cap gets lowered, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't get the, pl- the get those players. Like I don't know if that that makes sense. Like maybe it does, but it's you you may be able to sign the same player for like his market value might be low, but if he knows that you have extra money to spend, they might negotiate for that extra money. So anyway, yeah, like you said, it's all very granular. Um, so let's ignore that and just okay. Let's Mike that fires. That was a bad tangent. We 
we just went off on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five minutes at the beginning of this podcast, everybody's going, "What are you babbling about, idiots?" <laughs> this is just to prove uh, prove our expertise in this by blabbing about something we we don't know much about. Yeah, um, right, exactly. That we, yeah. we can't throw down exact numbers on or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's like just uh, economists uh, just being like, oh, "Okay, here are like thousand words that you don't know. That means I'm smarter than you." Getting on to things we know slightly more about. Yeah, let's talk about... So, so Gomez and Fires, um, for two very good prospects, or like two um, top-tier prospects, Brad Phillips and Domingo Santana. And then... Yeah, I, that I wouldn't, exa- I wouldn't put it that way. I think you have Brett Phillips, and then you have Domingo Santana and... Uh, um, Josh Hader. Josh Hader. I, so, I don't know. I've kind of, I kind of like Domingo Santana more than other people do. Um, I know that he's not, he's struggled in the majors, but where's Brett Phillips in Double A? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phillips is in Double A. Um, so there's always a thing of like guys who've, like I don't know. I always value people who have at least made it to the majors. And wait, Domingo Santana didn't do. He's hitting 115 WRC plus in oh 42 plate appearances. Uh, so forget that. But he's not. I mean, he hasn't like he hasn't totally failed um, in the majors, and he's projected to be like an average corner outfielder. And so, in terms of like, um. Like I go, okay, I guess Kyler McDaniel on Fangraphs has him as a future value forty-five, and I think Brett Phillips is a future value like fifty-five. But he's just, he's so much farther out that I don't mind having getting a guy like Santana and putting him in the same category, um, or putting him. I, I value him higher than other people because he's he's there. He's made it. He can start with the major league team right away. There's sort. Of- a weird thing about this okay the way i'm looking at it after having gone around and read every scouting report i could get my hands on um and really digging into it looking at the numbers as closely as i as i can it's weird phillips is further away from the majors but i think he's a better bet than santana is um and let me explain so phillips right now he has already shown he's gone through sort of some adjustments and has he started off with a very content oriented approach and didn't hit home runs early on in his career uh in the minor leagues out of high school and made an adjustment and started actually giving up some power giving up some contact for power over the last season and a half in the minor leagues as he's been coming up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he made that decision. He, he seems to have made that adjustment and is adjusting into that. He also possesses plus speed and a plus plus arm to the point where he's actually listed in the um, double checks, but in the baseball America prospect handbook for this year, um, Nope, I'm sorry. That's someplace else. He was listed someplace else as outfielder slash pitcher. That's wow. how good his arm was. Even though he was clearly 
moving up the, the ranks as a as a uh, as an outfielder and was going to be a position player. His arm is that good that you would just say, yeah, he could quite easily go to the mound. Um, so that even though he's not as close to the major leagues, he has he has that going for him. Santana, um, I don't want to sit here and read a whole scouting report to you, but there's a sentence that, or a couple sentences that are particularly concerning in the in the Baseball America um, uh, scouting report of him from the Prospect Handbook this year. Uh, they said scouts don't believe he'll be able to tap into that power because of poor bat control, poor strike zone discipline, and a long swing with a low bat path. And they go on and give some more negative points. This is after they made the point that he does have, uh, a, you know, incredible raw power, mm-hmm. a great arm, and uh, more than enough athleticism and speed to play right field. So he profiles perfectly as a right fielder. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's just this this approach swing issue that has really called into question. And I know you're a big fan, and I'm a big fan of Kylie McDaniel's work over at Fangraphs. Mm-hmm. And he sort of threw a Nelson Cruz comp on him, um, but did it in kind of a backhanded way, saying, if this works out, that there's a there's a chance he... You you know, could become something like Nelson Cruz, but it's probably going to take him a long while to get there. And, you know, how old will he be and how many teams will he have gone through? How many times will he have cleared waivers before he gets there? So. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, we again, we probably don't want to be sitting here and uh, arguing between which prospect is better. But let's talk about the overall. Um, wait, wait, wait. No, I do want to make a quick point. And um, is that Santana is a 22 year old hitting 115 WRC plus in the majors. So let's uh, let's give him a shot. You know, he, he might end up being good. He could and, very easily. Yeah. I just think he's a little bit more of a lottery ticket than uh, Phillips is. Than Phillips. Um, but yeah. overall, I mean, that's a good combination to have. Have somebody in the majors who's, um, you know, who's a lottery ticket and then somebody in the minors who's... Well, Santana is with the Sky Sox. He's in AAA. He's, he'll come up. At probably in point. September. Probably in September or you something. Would think, right? yeah. yeah, he'll be up at some point this year. I think part of it is they still have to figure out uh, what exactly they're going to do with all their outfielders at this point. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. And if if Santana could play center, that would be a no-brainer. But they, they seem to have sort of a backup now of a lot of center fielders and right fielders. Um, and obviously, then if you have that you can throw somebody to left field. If you have right. center fielders and right fielders, somebody can go to left because if you can play center or right, you can play left. Yeah. Um, but at some point, that may end up necessitating, with all those center and right fielders, that may end up necessitating uh, Mr. Braun moving someplace else. Yeah, that's definitely... Probably first base. Yep. Probably yep. not another club, but that's... You know, that's for some that somewhere down the line, probably not an immediate issue. Um, yeah, and I, Domingo I, Santana. I should point out, sorry, yep. Domingo Santana is field for the Sky Sox. Got it. And it's uh, who else is playing with him? Is it Victor Roche or Taylor? No, it's uh, um, 
uh, Michael Reed was also promoted, and he's going to be in uh, right field. For the gotcha. Series. Okay. Where where are Roche and Taylor? Double A. Yeah, Roche Roche and Taylor are in Double A. Okay. Uh, what Along about these? With now Brett Phillips. What about these other guys, Hader and Hauser? Hader Hauser. Um, <laughs> oh, that's awful. I'm sorry, everybody <laughs> did that. I that just. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Uh, okay. Um. So. I'm. Like I, I'm, I'm actually a fairly big fan of of Josh Hader. I think that he has the chance. He definitely he he went along with Hauser. Both went right to Double A um, to Biloxi, where they now have just an incredibly deep team for their you know hopeful playoff run. Um, they're already they they qualified by winning the division in the first half. They already qualified for the postseason, um, and so they'll they'll have a. a a run hopefully they they do something and that that would be nice to see it It gets attention and makes people who maybe don't pay as close of attention to the minor leagues pay attention even though winning at the minor leagues isn't really a big deal but Mm -hmm. it's nice um hater is a guy that is a lot like in a lot of ways a lot like a lot of the other brewers pitchers right now that are in the high minors uh, he does not profile as a likely front end starter, but rather more as a you know three four five, and he is along with Davies, who they got from the Orioles in exchange for uh, Para. For Para, he's somewhat slight of build, but has the stuff that you look at and say, yeah, he, he could be a a major league, uh, a major league starter if things break right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we should just say Hater is a twenty-one-year-old, um, left-handed, left-handed pitcher. Um, looks like uh, so again. I'm reading off Fangraphs. Looks like has a fastball, slider, changeup, uh, decent command, but yeah, nothing off the tr- like. Um, None of his pitches profile better than solid, so his his best uh, future profile is his changeup could be like a fifty five. Um, but so yeah, exactly like you're saying, basically everything's forty fives and fifties across the board. Uh, yeah, which it yeah, and if that all comes together along with you know developing command and control, you don't have to have you know outstanding stuff to be able to profile as a mid-rotation starter, you don't have to have like a, a, a carrying pitch if you, you have a, an assortment of useful pitches that you can mix and throw for strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, which really, they've sort of set up, and I, I mentioned this, they're, they're now setting up to just have, they have the best organizational pitching depth I've ever seen with mm. this team. That, not in other teams, but they do not have a lot of guys who profile as front end starters right now. In fact, I wouldn't put you know money on anybody being a uh, uh, a guy you're happy starting game one of a playoff series. Though there are guys, especially at the lower minors, like Devin Williams, Cody Medeiros, and um, Cody Bonds, who was just drafted this year, who I do think have that upside, but they're just too far away to really hang that on them. What they have is a lot of guys who profile to be 
useful starters. And within the next year or so, we should probably see them shuffle off uh, Matt Garza elsewhere. And obviously Kyle Loesch will be gone after this year. There's a pretty good chance that we're looking at either 100% homegrown rotation or maybe one not a homegrown starter within the next year. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's counting people like Davies and Hader who they traded for while still prospects as homegrown. Hey, uh, Ryan, let's put a bow on the, on the trade overall, like okay. things that you've read so far and, and your instinct. So what is, um, pretty good package in return or anybody got fleeced or, pr- or pretty good all around for both teams? Well, I think what the Brewers definitely did in the at the deadline, and I wrote about this uh, on Friday when I wrapped up the thing, they seem to definitely have a preference for guys who were close to the majors. Uh, of the seven guys who came in in trade, one of them is starting below double A with the Brewers. And that's, but that's, uh, isn't that always true? I mean, I, I, I think you said this on Twitter, or definitely in the article too, and I understand what you mean, but... I've ne- I don't think I've seen too many guys traded in the deadline, including prospects that were like single A guys, unless it was like, unless they were like top fifty prospects. Well, it, actually, you'll see them. They won't be the headliners of deals. They'll be guys who are added in and are maybe the third or fourth name on the deal. Hmm. Where in you know the case with the Brewers, I, it's pretty clear that the fourth name on the deal for the uh, for the Gomez and. Fires trade was Adrian Hauser, right-handed mm-hmm. pitcher will go to Biloxi. Maybe, maybe could start. People think he maybe profiles more as a reliever. Okay, whatever. Yeah, same old story. Yep. Right, same old story. The Brewers obviously preferred him to going down, maybe into the Astros A ball or maybe even you know rookie ball or something, and grabbing a guy who had more tools but was further away and had more question marks they probably could have had somebody like that in this exchange but they preferred instead to take hauser and i think that that's telling that their mindset is to get guys who are close to the big leagues at this point um over ceiling so i'm not sure if i agree in terms of like getting guys in double a because well okay I'll, i'll have to uh uh, do some more research in terms of what trades have gone down uh, in the past few years. But it, it almost seems to me like when guys are that raw, like in, in uh, you know, A-ball, that most, that both sides kind of don't want to go there. Like both sides, are the, you know, the, the home team is king. Like the Astros are thinking, hey, this guy still has a lot of projection left. And it's, it's just too many unknowns to put a good value on a player who's below double A. Whereas a guy in Double A, it's easier to say, okay, this guy's going to project to this, so here's his value, and we can add it up, and we can uh, balance the sides of uh, the trade. Well, yeah, the risk and the reward tends to go up. Yeah, so the home team is thinking. Yeah, so the home team is thinking, oh, the reward is it's too valuable to give him up right now, and the uh, team receiving it, like Milwaukee, is thinking, all right, well, we, you know, there's just too much projection there to uh, to get it. So it's. It's not so much – I don't know if the Brewers preferred Major League Ready because of their timing. So much so is it's just a thing that teams tend to stay away from because of that. 
Um, I'd have to go back and look at exactly what, you know, non-headliners. Because, you know, like anybody else, I tend to focus when I get other teams' transactions more on the headliners. Right, and right. And spend less time on the, the, the lower down. It my the history of it from what i remember looking at and seeing that it i think that guys in lower minors do frequently move as part of packages often as you know a piece you know not the not, not the headliner and maybe not the secondary piece but you know third fourth fifth pieces of deals mm-hmm. guys you know at least used to move in that way you'd, you'd see it happen um so yeah, I, I I do think it happens, and I I bet you that the there was there was discussion of guys who were lower down. I'm sure, I'm sure they well, discussed guys who were lower down, and right. this is what ended up happening. We'll never really know exactly, you know, who was discussed and what the trade offs were that they made. But I, like I said, looking at the overall picture, I do think it's telling that. Of the seven guys that they got, six of them are starting double A and higher. You know. Well, I was just looking at the the prospects in the Cespedes deal. They were both double A or double A to triple A guys. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking through like the prospects in Cole Hamels, double A. Uh. Yeah, it doesn't I mean it's hard to pick it off. Double A, Jared Acuff, double A. Um, Alec Asher, double A. Um, it may be that that's the way, uh, the industry's moving. I think so. I'm, okay. Nick Williams, be. Nick Williams, I think was, oh, okay. Double A. Yep. Also double A. So six other prospects that I looked at from the deadline were all double A guys. Yeah, so it does I, seem to be, maybe that's a, a direction that the industry's moving. I think that's, yeah, what it is. But, but, uh, but I do see, um, where you're, I think where you were going with it and is maybe about the Brewers' window of contention not being... They're not aiming for 2019. They're maybe aiming for 2017. Well, or at least they are... They're saying, we want to get back guys that are close enough that they could potentially be useful role players and fill out the big league roster in the next few years. I think there's this tendency for people to want... Everybody wants upside. Everybody wants to right, hear right. that you got four, four guys who could all be superstars. Sure. They want to hear that. And, you know, as much as Gomez, uh, you know, the value that he had for being locked in this year and then next year in another reasonable contract and fires being four full years from, uh, from free agency, even after this one, as much as people want to hear that that has a ton of value, and I think that this is why you see some people maybe poo-pooing the Brewers' return a bit. Though, like even Keith Law, who... Keith Law saying, I think the Brewers could have gotten more... Sort of, you know, talking like that. That's... For him, that's not a very hot take. That's not a... That's not a huge damning thing. Right. Saying, well, you know, because when he really dislikes it, he'll, he'll hammer somebody. So... Right. Um, but I think that there's there's the tendency to sort of want to see that those big flashy returns, and I think that it just it doesn't necessarily uh, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Right. And the Brewers, I think what they what they want to do is to fill out 
as much as possible over the coming years their team from within. Mm-hmm. And guys like Hauser and um, oh uh, Barrios, they got back in exchange for for uh, um, Aramis Ramirez. Those guys may not ever make it to the big leagues, but they're closer than you know some of your high upside guys who may be 19 years old and playing in the Midwest League somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and, and Brett Phillips is not a bad get. Like I don't understand that the idea. Like Brett Phillips is more. Well, let me just say the combo of Phillips and Santana is definitely the type of package I would have envisioned. Like, if they hadn't gotten something to that level or better, I would have definitely said, okay, yeah, this is a bad deal. But that's that's a shiny package. Like, that's not something to sneeze at. Sure. And then you add in the fact that it, it looks like Hayter has a pretty good chance to be a big league starter on mm-hmm. some level. And those guys, even though we're living in an era where, you know, it's a little bit harder to find offense than it is pitching – it's still a guy who has the ability to potentially start at the big league level is still worth quite a bit, especially by the time they get to double A. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Astros, yeah, I'm sure the Astros have depth that they feel like they don't need guys like that around. Well, the Brewers are still getting to that point. They're working on it. So, yeah, you know, it, it gives them other options. It gives them more things to look at and, so what do you uh so so I know you tweeted this that um I think Doug Melvin told Adam McAlvey that it, it was the inclusion of fires that made uh that pried away Brett Phillips from the Astros. Right. That they had to for the for the Brewers to get that guy in Phillips, they had to include fires. And that is that's bizarre a little bit just because I don't – I mean, Fires is good and I love watching him pitch. But I guess it's the control years, right? That's got to be the reason. Well, and the FIP. I mean, the Astros are a savvy a savvy organization. And if anybody is going to value um, you know, the things that Fires does well, which is he strikes guys out and doesn't walk people, and that's – that's a big plus. You know, the Astros are going to be are going to be hip to that, and they're going to realize that. You know, just like the, there was a lot of talk that the Blue Jays were interested in Fires too, uh, and it just gives you another option, you know, a depth option. I don't think anybody thinks Fires is going to be a a world beater, but he he does present those those skill sets. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons I'm not particularly broken up about you know having him go and it's not that i i was i was demanding the brewers trade him but he is already 30 years old right right you know he is also if you look at fan hard contact stat where they they classify contact versus you know soft medium and hard he has among qualified pitchers the highest percentage of hard contact given up by any qualified pitcher. And it, if you watch Mike Fires pitch, which I'm assuming pretty much everybody who's listened to this has, right. you sort of know this. You know that Mike Fires does a really good job of 
missing bats and avoiding walks. But when guys do get into him, they hit the ball hard. Yeah, and that sort of matches with his repertoire too. You know, he's got the he throws the high fastballs that you people swing under those wicked curveballs and um wow i'm saying wicked now because i live in boston all right and um <laughs> and change-ups that <laughs> yeah and uh and change-ups that you know fall off the bottom but when they stay up boom it's out of here you're not going to miss that if you're a major league hitter and that right. that sort of makes sense and that was the same thing with marco estrada well similar with marco estrada and and the Blue Jays got him, even though Rogers Center that that was a bizarre thing. Like I guess like it makes sense because I mean Minute Maid isn't isn't um, it's kind of neutral, right? Like in terms of park. Yeah, it's a weird park because it has a big, spacious center field area, right? Um, but very, very short porches. Uh, the the Crawford box is out and left, and then there's a a, a pretty short porch out in uh, right as well. Yeah, I was going to say nobody's as happy that Gomez um, was traded to Astros as Mike Fires probably. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm going to need you to go fetch all those fly balls in the center. Yeah, no, it, that's, it's, a, it's a really good point that, that that works out well for him. And yeah, it, so Mike Fires was, is a guy that you'd love to have around under control. But I think the Brewers are looking at it like, like, if that's what it's going to take, if Fires is what it's going to take for us to pry away a true impact talent, a true guy mm-hmm. that's going to, if if that's what we have to do to get, to get, you know, this for Gomez, mm-hmm. then, yeah, we can do that. And, you know, honestly, there are other guys who profile in similar ways. Um, Davies, Zach Davies, who they got from the Orioles for Para, you read about him, and he sounds like he could be very, very much in that Mike Fires, Marco Estrada mold, where it's, you know, it's a command. He has he has big league pitches, but there's nothing overwhelming, and he, he needs to hit his spots, or it's going to be somewhat problematic. Mm-hmm. But he's good at hitting his spots, um, which has been Fire's primary, you know, value. Is he's he does have good command. What let's uh, let's transition to that. Unless I mean, if you wanted to finish up your point on Fire's, go for it. But I do want to talk about the Para trade. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's uh, talk about so I know that some people. So where? Okay, so Zach Davies. What's his deal? Is he where? Would, where did he pitch last? So he has been pitching in AAA for the Orioles. Okay. Um, this season, and he's the guy. He is six feet tall, one hundred and fifty-ish pounds, Jesus. and he That's is yeah, skinny. Yeah, he is a small, small human being. And there are questions about him being able to hold his velocity late, and and all of that. And, but he already has a very good changeup and a very solid. So a very good changeup and a very solid curveball, um, and his control is good for a minor leaguer. You know that's something that you have to develop the control and command. He's a very good control and command for a minor leaguer. Um, so the 
the hope the Brewers have is that they will be able to, you know, develop him into a, you know, a, mm-hmm. a decent starter sort of in that fires and, and uh, Estrada mold. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kylie McDaniel has him as a future value 50. Same as, uh, same as Brett Phillips and better than Domingo Santana, just as an aggregate. So I, that's a pretty good return. I mean, that, that only means so much. You can't just compare the scouting future values. But, um, you know, I think now that I'm looking at it, that's more value than I thought the Brewers could get for Para. Because he's the, he's the free agent at the end of this year, right? Yeah, and I saw, I you know, <laughs> stupidly read, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter <laughs> comments to that. Yeah. Right, and I yeah. and I saw the JS comments on these, and you know people complaining about the return for Para. Every year during the deadline, this is something that sort of perpetually um, amuses slash vexes me. Is that people get very invested in the trade value of guys going up and down with every performance, <laughs> and when a guy like Para starts really having like a great season. It, it sort of blows everybody's expectations up. I, I get the feeling that a lot of a lot of you know more casual fans maybe thought that uh, you know Para. So what was the the JS comment was something along the lines of uh, they should have been able to get a front line third base or first base. Probably. Oh yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's you go no, it, sorry, that's just, not how this works. It just yep. doesn't work that way. Para is a. It, for a major leaguer, for a major league starter, he is a mostly talented guy. Oh, oh, you'll love this one. I, th- I was re- I'm just, <laughs> okay. Here, ready? Yeah, I'm the, all set. <laughs> the Para deal makes the Iran deal look good. Oh yeah, I saw that one. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, that's a good combination. Let's just, oh. just let's just insert politics into this dumb comment. So yeah, it it really. Um, oh, you throwing me off now. Oh, yeah. Para, Para is a modestly talented big league player yep, yep. Uh, by the standards of starting big leaguers. Now, that's not ripping him. It, and I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm just saying that his talents are somewhat modest. He does not have – he doesn't have the kind of speed at, that you normally associate with the center fielder. He can play center field at least right now. Because of his um, his instinct and yeah. well, yeah, because he, he can do that. And he has enough speed right now, but he really profiles defensively better as a plus corner outfielder, you know, a plus right fielder, a plus left fielder, as opposed to sort of a below average center fielder. You know, and I so I don't get that. Maybe like I don't want to get a, go on a huge tangent here, but my guess is like Alex Gordon would be the same way. Like he's a really good corner outfielder. Um, but yeah. maybe not that good of a center fielder. Exactly. And and it's not because of the arm. Like Para and I mean, I guess Alex Gordon has a good arm, but but Para doesn't have a great arm. So it's not like you're saying, hey, he profiles really good in right field because he's um, you know, he's got a cannon. So what what is it about raw those speed, kinds of players? Raw speed and the ability to cover the kind of ground that's needed to be covered in center field. No, but so to go gap to gap and to be able to haul down 
line dri- line-ish drives. You know, not line drives because nobody gets those to the gap. But to get pitch, to get balls that are hit, you know, reasonably hard to the to the uh, into the gaps to track down those balls to get good jumps on balls, mm-hmm. uh, which that is what Parra does. That's his stock and trade because he doesn't have the raw speed. You've you've seen it when when Carlos Gomez, especially a few years ago, was at his best defensively and had just that amazing speed. He could go into the gap and get baseballs that very few other center fielders would get to. No, but and, the, yeah, but that's a bad not a bad comp, but it's Carlos Gomez is really good even for a center fielder, right? Right. So, but but I'm saying when people talk about Para being in center, they're saying, eh, like. He could manage a few innings there, but you wouldn't start him there. Why wouldn't you start him there? He could be. Could he be an average center fielder defensively? No, probably not. But so that just—I don't know. I guess I'm, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. How can you go from a plus corner outfielder to a below average center fielder? Speed. <laughs> That's and it. And what you're, and because you're you're being compared against the field, the the best, the fastest guys, and the ones you know with the really good arms. Right go to center or right you know um and so the comparison of what gomez or yeah what what par would be at center field in center field he's competing against much better athletes much faster yeah. athletes talking than, billy billy than, hamilton and jared dyson and right yeah and then, mike trout then when he's yeah. in left field where you've got you know, a good number of guys who who take a glove and stand out there because they have to be somewhere on the True, but but I mean, Para could do better at center than I don't know Shinsu Chu did. Or sure, yeah. yeah. But and again, it's anyway. The the issue is that Para profile wise, he also doesn't have the power of. He's hitting for more power this year, but it's still not. Doesn't have the power that you normally associate with corner outfielders that are really good. Right. So he's kind of a, a tweener in that way. Exactly. He is a tweener who has some center field skill and some center field ability, but you wouldn't run a, really want to play him there every day. Yeah. Uh, and he has a bat that you'd be his bat you'd be perfectly happy having in center field. That's a that's a pretty good center field bat mm-hmm. for the most part, but. The defensive profile. So yeah, tweener is is a really good way to put it. He he is a tweener, and so who's having a career year? Well, right. Twenty years ago, GMs might have fallen for this. They might have looked at it and said, "Oh, he's clearly figured something out." Whereas now, everybody sort of knows that yeah, Para could continue on for the rest of this year like he has been. But it's probably more likely that he goes back to being more like what he was. A fourth outfielder, right. Or over even the rest of this season because he's playing so far above his established level. Yeah. So so while people look at that and go, oh, yeah, he's – this is – the every, every uh, shot is improving his trade value. Well, it, I, in some ways – it also maybe makes him a little bit harder to trade because the general manager knows that he has this asset that's having this great season, and you don't want to give that up because there's always this instinct to 
try to, you know, keep your team as good as possible. And so you don't want to give up a guy who's playing that well, but at the same time, you know that nobody's going to give you, nobody's going to give you a return for par like he's the player that he has been for the last three months. Part of it is also about like like Carlos Gomez's return is so much more about 2016 than it is about this year, right? And it's it's um, it's just like the type of deals you make in the trade deadline. Um, like Para is more of a depth guy. I mean, I'm sure he'll start for the Orioles, but like it's harder to capture as opposed to getting a starting pitcher where you say, all right, he's going to make X number of starts for me. You know, more than likely we're going to win that game, and he's going to maybe start in the wild card, like with Cueto or someone. Like right. you, you can you can more quantitatively say he's going to help us in these games, and we're going to have better chance of winning those games as opposed to getting a position player who's a tweener being like all right cool like now we have depth and now we have another like he's going to be number six or seven in our lineup and our lineup's going to be better than it was right yeah it, it he para improves the orioles and makes them better it makes their lineup deeper and gives them more versatility you know and that that is always a good thing because Para can play multiple positions. He can take a glove and go play center field at least marginally credibly. I don't know. Looking at one season of outfield defensive stats is, I think, that gets somewhat overblown. But Para has declined defensively by the metric somewhat significantly. I don't know how much, like I said, 100% I buy into that, but there's probably something to it that that he isn't quite the defender that he was. And it's it's also this the even if you don't buy that, it does hedge you like okay, um so I actually just was just looking that up in 600 innings he's in, like minus 4 defensive runs saved. Um so if you kind of scoff at that, I mean then then you can just use that as a way of if you don't believe that 600 innings is enough to tell you that he's changed at all, then you can't take the last, I don't know, 300 plate appearances and say that he's figured everything out. Right, exactly. So, all right. Um, we've maybe talked enough about Para. Well, I think they, again, just to wrap that up, I yeah. think they did pretty good to get Davies. I yep. think that he is a unspectacular, it's definitely an unspectacular return, but uh, they, you, you, people that were expecting um, top of the line for him I, I think had expectations that were a bit out of out of whack. Hey, not not to brag, but I think two days before the deal, I had tweeted that um, I'm expecting like a back of the rotation uh, slash relievers in Bullet for Ara. And, yeah, and that's like, and and that's not a very specific prediction. Like I know that's a very general thing, but that's kind of what I was like. That's what that's what you should expect. Like that's basically. What, um, yeah, that's basically what you ended up getting. Uh, what about just real quickly talking about? I think you mentioned the Ramirez return, um, which is just okay, what cool, whatever. What about Jonathan Broxton? That's a weird one. Like, that's another St. Louis Cardinals being, hey, we're better than you. Like, give us your worst. Well, I was told uh, a friend of my brother's who's a St. Louis Cardinals fan, um, was upset that the, uh, that the Brewers got back what they did in huh. exchange for Broxton. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this is, he's, he's sort of a weird case. Broxton is a weird case because 
and I hammered this all year to the point of being nauseating about it on Twitter, I'm sure. Um, but Broxton was having is having a remarkably unlucky year. He is having a season that defies logical explanation. Um, he has is throwing harder, is striking out more batters, is walking fewer batters, and basically uh, his numbers with runners not on base have been his typical numbers for his career. When there have been runners on base this year, he is getting pounded like nobody's business, and there is no history for it in his career. Hmm. He does not have a history of struggling with runners on base. He's a reliever, and I believe, you know, they're basically all pitching out of the stretch. Yeah, I mean, like, there, there's no reason to think that Broxton just forgot how to pitch with runners on base. So do you think the Brewers sold low on him? No, I, I don't think his value was extremely high because of the overall numbers. And I, also the the salary. Sure, and they, the Brewers did have to pick up some of the, the salary. But it's not surprising to me in the least that you had a guy who uh, um, that, that Broxton ended up being traded to a, a savvy, smart, advanced-thinking team like the Cardinals. When do we find out that Broxton was tipping his pitches? <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that because I've heard that joke before somewhere on Twitter, but it's still it's funny every time. It's just it's just my comedic timing too. That's yeah, all. Yeah, it it's it's yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, the guy that they got for um, in exchange for Broxton, um, I, I believe it's pronounced Malik Malik Collymore. Um, he is so. As a 19-year-old in their, what's essentially the Cardinals' uh, version of low rookie ball, you know, there's low rookie and then there's, like, short season ball. So, like, the, the difference between Arizona and uh, Helena okay. for the Brewers. Um, the, uh, the Cardinals last year had him at their, well, actually for these first two years, 2013 and 14, the Cardinals had him at you know, the equivalent of their, their low A ball team. And last year he put up in 201 plate appearances, a 333, 403, 480 split. He was OPSing 883. He is incredibly talented. He is fast. He He's built like a running back or like a linebacker from like the NFL. Like he is, he is built. Hmm. Um, this year he moved up to what would be the equivalent of the Brewers Helena team, the the higher the short season, the high rookie or short season or whatever you want to call it. He moved mm-hmm. to the Epi League, um, and he dropped down to a 704 OPS. Though he is still showing plate discipline and uh, is still hitting the ball hard for a reasonable a reasonable amount. Um, but he is he, the the contact issues are mounting. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Right. He struck out 22 times in 86 trips to the plate. Yeah, I mean, that's basically when you trade a guy like Jonathan Broxton, you end up getting, you either end up, you can get like an org guy, like in double A, you know, 
you can add like depth or or you can get somebody who's essentially a, like a I mean he's maybe a little bit better than a lottery ticket but a guy who's got a lot of projection left but has like identifiable flaws that that um like Collymore has yeah but, and and it's a good return on Jonathan Broxton. I mean, he yep. was rated before the season. Collimore was rated as the number 27 prospect in the Cardinals system there by Baseball America. Nice. He's having a down year. The Cardinals have probably, you know, somewhat, you know, not given up on him, but somewhat soured on him. Right. But it shows you how much they've, they think of Broxton having value that they were willing to give up a guy that has any sort of upside and has shown any sort of ability. I, I think a lot of people thought Broxton was completely untradeable. I was even starting to convince myself that Broxton was largely immovable um, because of the season. And, you know, I should have had the courage of my convictions a little bit more. He, he wasn't, <laughs> he, he had value. It's just having this weird, weird season. All right, Ryan, last two questions for you. Uh, All right. Two, just two more. Okay. One, um, why didn't Adam Lind and Lucroy get traded? Well, those are two completely different questions. I know. Did you see what I did there? It was a trick. Oh, so, was that was that the two questions? That was no. That was one of the two. But I, I combined them. Oh. Okay. I combined them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, so, let's okay. Let's let's leave Lucroy for another time because uh, yeah, let's leave Lucroy for mean, another time. I think we can we can both agree. I I dropped it in the article. Lucroy is the centerpiece of their marketing efforts, of their fa- – he is the face of the franchise. Him and Braun are sort of co-faces of the franchise right now. And and he's having they, a down year too. And he's having a down year. So maybe now isn't the best time to deal him anyway. Right. So, yeah, I, it, that's not surprising. It isn't even particularly upsetting at this point. Mm-hmm. Get back to me. Get back to me in another you know, year and we'll, we'll talk. But Right, right. Um, Adam Lind, Lind. Yep. Lind is I have seen a lot of people saying people that whose opinions I respect and trust like uh, J.P. Breen and Derek Harvey and uh, all, all these guys saying that a market didn't emerge for spe- more or less speculating that a market didn't emerge for uh, Lind mm-hmm. and I just have a hard time with Right. I I have a hard time in a game that is so starved for offense right now. And mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing that there just wasn't anybody out there who would have gladly given up more than what, say, the Brewers got in Para or got in return for Para. I, I don't see see how they couldn't have at least gotten yeah maybe it was just a roster thing like i mean especially with the american league teams um i'm sure like they could like it seems like american league teams can always use another first base dh type and uh, yeah Yeah. even if he's right especially a guy who like he fits so neatly you don't have to play him every day he's He's really a platoon bat, but he's the strong side of the platoon. He's, you know, 75%-ish of Major League pitchers 
are right-handers, so he's the strong side of the platoon. And he crushes right-handed pitching. He crushes right-handed pitching. And yeah, he can't really face left-handed, but it's not that hard to minimize that, you yeah. know, and, and, and play around with that. So it just, it's... And, and he does have the ability, he has shown the ability to go and play first base passably this year with the Brewers. He hasn't been good, but he's mm-hmm. been passable. And it just seems like there are teams out there that would have had some sort of interest in a bat like that. And I just got the feeling from some of the things that were talked about, the way that you know some teams came back and said, we get the feeling that the Brewers aren't really interested in moving Lind. Though oh. those same sorts of rumors were applied to Fires, and that proved that apparently somebody hit the price on Fires, and that worked out, and he got traded. So, so, it's, so it must be a market timing thing. Like Even though it's, it's hard to believe, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, clearly nobody made them an offer they couldn't refuse for Lind. I yeah. mean, but how were they really shopping him? I don't know. I suspect their price on him was probably higher than what I would have put on him. If gotcha. we're, we're putting it that way, I probably would have I probably would have found a deal that I would have accepted. And they clearly are willing to go on to the next. Yeah, I mean, off-season, hopefully, they... They have all of next year and they have the offseason. And also, there's a part of me, like 10% of me, that thinks that there's, you know, there's something to the idea of keeping, having the heart of your lineup still be Lucroy, Braun, and Lind. That's not terrible. Like, this is not, I was just telling somebody, like, this is not going to end up being the 2012 Astros or Cubs. Like, this is still a team that could maybe go out there and win 72 games um, as opposed to 57 games or whatever the hell it was. And yeah. I don't know if there's a part of um, part of them being like, unless we can get like massive returns, let's keep a decent, um, you know, product on the field that uh, people will still turn out for. Um, but I, okay, so I, my last question for you, and you have two minutes to answer this, which is, um, so how are you feeling about the Brewers going forward? I am feeling better about their long-term vision. Than I have in a long time. Okay. I'm feeling like they, like they, for the first time under Antanasio and Melvin, made a concerted, difficult decision, and said, "Yeah, we really do have to focus more on the future than on the present, and we need to look further down the line, um, as opposed to." You know, for even next year, even if the Gomez trade had gone through with the Mets, mm-hmm. you know, Wheeler wasn't coming back until middle of next year, and mm-hmm. it, it, this that wasn't that wasn't a trade that was built around trying to win as much as possible the rest of this year, and then going and winning as much as possible next year. None of these trades were. This is this is stuff that's looking at least a while down the road and saying we're more about trying to win we're, we're we are focusing more on winning a few years from now and and putting our eggs in that basket as opposed to right now and that is a refreshing change from trying to shoestring things together um the way that they've done 
at times um, when they weren't in the all-in mode. You know nice. what I mean? They would, they would go into these all-in modes with uh, Sabathian 08 and Grinky and uh, Markham in, in 11-12. They would mm-hmm. have these all-in modes. and Yeah, but watch. That's going to happen, though. That's going to happen in two years. All these well, prospects that we're, that we're talking about right now, third or half of them are going to get traded for, like, I don't know, probably Samarja or somebody. <laughs> like. Well, and again, if, if they start down that path again at some point, if they, if they could conceivably turn around this offseason and, and deal away prospects and do some weird stuff to try to, you know, pull a... let's make our team interesting in the way that the Padres did this year. They conceivably do something like that, but I sort of doubt it. I don't think they just, they don't, they don't have enough pieces. They just don't have enough pieces to do that. I just don't think you embark that they embark on this path without that. I, without, without understanding that this is going to be a process, even if they don't get to the, the depths. And I think, it's unlikely. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't get to the depths that the Cubs and the Astros sank to, um, they are taking a step back, and they are they are you know focusing on getting better in the long term, and that is an undeniable step away from their the business model that they had been running, and it's a step forward in my mind, and it will be fascinating to watch who Mark Atanasio hires to replace Doug Melvin over the next few months, because that's basically, I think we agree, a done deal. That's going to yep. happen. And and what Melvin's role will be, if he will be a active team president in the Andrew Friedman, um, uh, uh, Epstein, because he's going to, he probably will stay on as team president, for, sorry, as president of baseball operations. He of that side of things he'll probably stay on as that um in all likelihood so will he be a that the the theo epstein andrew freeman style of team president where he still wields considerable power and is still an integral part of all the decision making processes or will he be handing over the reins really to somebody else who is going to drive things in their own direction Awesome. Well, you wrap things up for us, and and you're leaving us with a nice like uh, things to ponder coming up. So, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on and uh, discussing the trade deadline. Thanks. So fun, always.